Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jonathan. If our audience hasn't seen a picture of us, one thing they may not realize is that we both wear glasses. Yes, we do. I don't mind wearing glasses, but I get a sense of dread when it comes to getting a new pair. I know exactly what you mean. Me too. Now, I don't mind the actual eye exam, other than wondering if my eyesight may have gotten worse. It's more the process of picking out new frames. Exactly. And you and I recently had the joy of picking out new frames for me after a recent eye exam. Yes. Now, let's paint a picture of what this process looked like. Fortunately, at your last eye exam, your eyesight had not changed much. No, it hadn't really at all. So after the exam, we went to pick out my frames. So to do this, of course, we headed over to that area on the wall that's lined with frames. And the first step, of course, is to figure out, you know, what size frame fits my head. And I have a really small head. So depending on the store, and as was the case (laughs) in this store, I ended up in the kids section Mm -hmm. where all they had were pink and purple frames. (laughs) They were just styling. (laughs) So... This is where I come in. Both of us have poor enough vision that we can't just try the frame on and look in the mirror. So in the old days, what we'd have to do is you would try on the frame and you would take my word for it on whether or not the frame looked good. Mm -hmm. This always made me a little bit nervous because I was worried that I'd pick out something you wouldn't like and you'd get stuck wearing them for the next couple years. Now, I can let you know what I think about the frames, but also take a picture with my cell phone so you can put on your old glasses to see how they look. Yes, and that's so helpful. Now, you always did a good job picking them out, by the way. Just saying. (laughs) Oh, thanks. But Yeah, this process took a long time, and we had to go to a few stores before we found one that had small enough frames that looked adult and not juvenile for me to pick from. And so we, we finally picked out frames that I really liked and looked good on me, and then we got to checkout. And we knew the price of the frames, but then he gave us the price of the whole package with lenses and everything. Yeah, our our jaws literally dropped, I think, when he told us the price. We were both yeah. a little bit stunned. And the lenses ended up tripling the price, like over what the frames were going to cost. So we just didn't have the money for it. So we let the salesperson know that we wouldn't be able to get the glasses, and we left the store. We were both unsure of what to do. We talked and we prayed, and then you had this brilliant idea. You remembered that your current prescription was good. You really only needed new frames because your current frames were on their last leg. So you called the optometrist to see if they still carried your old frame and if they could just reframe your current lenses in a new version of the same frame. Yes, and they said, even though it had been a long time, that they still did make my frame and it was still available. So that could work, and it saved us hundreds of dollars. While in this situation, we were literally reframing lenses. In today's episode, we are going to talk about reframing life circumstances. Sometimes our problems just need to be reframed. Colleen Swindall Thompson has had plenty of hard things in her life, with ample opportunity to do the work of reframing life circumstances. She is the founder of Insight for Living's Reframing Ministries and the author of When Life Isn't Fair, What They Didn't Tell Us in Sunday School, and of Reframing Life, Focusing on God When Life Gets Sideways. Today, she is going to walk us through this process of how to reframe our life circumstances. 
Hey, Colleen, welcome to the Hope Anew podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be your guest. It is so great to have you here. I know we got to visit with you a little bit at the uh, Inclusion Fusion Conference in Ohio, and I just love the time together and such a blessing. For our listeners that do not know you, would you mind sharing a little bit of your story with us? Sure. I was raised in a Christian home. What I'm learning is somewhat uncommon is that I had a fantastic church experience growing up. My dad, Chuck Swindoll, was the senior pastor. And it just was a great experience. I loved going to church, accepted Christ when I was little. I just loved the whole environment of being at church and new ministry would be somewhere in my future, but I didn't know where or how. And then I was married when I turned 23 and I was married for 15 years. By the end of the 15 years, it was very clear that the relationship was a domestically violent one. And so the three kids that we had together, the kids and I left and moved to Frisco, Texas. And in 2007, I started the special needs ministry at Insight for Living, which is where I work now, the ministry of my folks, Chuck and Cynthia Swidal. And that has morphed into several other departments which we can talk about later. But along the way, my third child, Jonathan, was born in July of 1998. And I had no idea that there would be any complication. I had two other kids. I thought, I've got this parenting thing down. Just bring another one in. And from the minute he was born, there was something different. And I had no idea what it was. He just screamed and cried all the time. And by the time he was two, he had an immune system disorder, which meant his immune response was delayed. So he had had uh, the respiratory virus, RSV, five times. He'd had multiple tubes, multiple ear infections, uh, severe asthma and allergies as well. Had been in the hospital multiple times, just this roller coaster that I totally never, ever expected to be on with him. At three, he was diagnosed with typical autism. At that time, one in 10,000 kids were diagnosed with autism. So I knew nothing about it or no one who had anyone, a loved one with autism. And then the intellectual developmental disability, which was previously called mental retardation, That was at three. And then when he was about seven and a half, after doing every therapy, every every diet, every suggestion, reading everything I could on trying to figure out how to help him, he was diagnosed with, uh, he regressed significantly and was diagnosed with severe Tourette's disorder, anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, oppositional defiance disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And I could give all the just OCD, ODD, ADHD, because you guys would get that. But for the audience, I want to make sure it's clear. Severe Tourette's, so his tics were very high, seizure disorders. I'm trying to think if that covers the gamut or if there were other ones, global anxiety disorder. As if that's not enough. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was incredibly overwhelming. And we can talk about what that, how that affected my faith. But that was about the time that I was also going through the separation. And then in 2009, he went through being assaulted, which in the disability world is very common. But it was very tragic in that the justice system and the social working system 
social worker system have not been trained to work with those with disabilities. So the experience was, it was very discouraging and disappointing. About that time, we changed schools for him. We were living in Dallas. And my daughter, which I don't know if it's known very well, but a lot of kids with disabilities have siblings who are at risk, at higher risk for a lot of things like deviant behavior, rebellion, school dropout, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. And my daughter had started cutting at the time before we left and was suicidal. So in spite of having a fantastic church experience growing up, I expected the Lord just to provide these three great kids and a family that was intact. And actually, we became a total train wreck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The unraveling of of life also was the unraveling of my faith. Mm. It's just a huge part of my journey. I did actually remarry in 2009 to my current husband, Tobin, who has two children as well, adult children. His son has a seizure disorder and his daughter was born with half a heart. So we pay a lot of medical bills. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and yet at the same time, what we at first looked at as disasters with this disability world have become life-changing They've changed our lives in so many ways for the better that I can't believe the Lord has actually entrusted me with the responsibilities that he has. Not to say that every day I'm thankful because some days are so hard, but overall the transformation process that has come through having three very different children and going through a very high profile, difficult divorce. Like Paul says, in our weaknesses, then he is strong. And that's what I've seen more than anything else. What a journey. What a process that year that your faith has gone through. Through that, you wrote the books, When Life Isn't Fair, What They Didn't Tell Us in Sunday School, and Reframing Life, Focusing on God When Life Gets Sideways. Can you tell us more about those? Really, those two have come out of the articles that I write and the blog that I have, and just the process of wanting to provide help and hope to people who are walking through pain, because the expectations we have when we've grown up in the church, there is so often an expectation in our American culture that It's kind of tit for tat. If I do this, God's going to do that. Mm -hmm. And usually our expectations are mostly revealed when they are disappointed. And God has not done something wrong. It's that my expectations of what he was supposed to do for my plan, which is all about me, (laughs) and it's not about him, when those expectations are disappointed, we look at him like he's dropped the ball. When in fact, we've been actually the one carrying our own ball. And he's saying, I'm going to have to release this from your hands because I can't fill up your hands and I can't abundantly bring joy into your life if you're always consumed with trying to do it on your own. Now, that's a nice way to say we get crushed in life Mm. for a purpose. And the crushing is never fun. It's never easy. It's 
not usually expected. It's not what we want. It does hit our emotions in multiple ways. And so we go to the Lord with that, if we know the Lord. And it's like, God, what have you done? You just screwed up my entire life. I've done all this stuff for you. And I'm thinking, he's probably looking down going, oh, I just sent my son to die for you. So he wins. What I learned along the way in addressing my expectations is usually our worldview comes together through three different avenues. The experiences that we have in childhood and growing up, The environment that we are in, whether it's our home environment, a church environment, you know, just the environment at school or wherever we're raised, and then the experiences that we have and the education that we receive, whether it's formal or informal. And those three are really, really important to look at when it comes to our expectations, because a lot of times the worldview that we have has these expectations hidden within it. Mm -hmm. If I do this, the Lord will do that. Mm -hmm. And if I'm raised in a church and I follow what scripture says, then, and I'm in an environment that upholds the Lord and has values that are honoring to him, it's almost without question we expect that the Lord is going to work all things together for my good, which we sometimes, most of the time think for my comfort. When the word comfort is not used there, it's for a good that is greater than one that I can bring on my own, but a good that he has already planned before even time began, before I was even born. He knew exactly what Colleen needed in order to know him best. Mm. And a lot of the breaking process is pulling away the things that I use to hold life together or to believe that life was held together by this these ways and for me to step back and be fully surrendered. And that really is a huge process. It does not happen all at once. No, it does not. And your story resonates with me so much in many ways is my story because I went through and I say went through as if it's all completed it's not still in process but went through like what you describe is that great crushing and having those expectations upended and my Mm. understanding of who God is and how he functions in this world and his purposes for things being very different than what I had grown up believing and had been taught in Bible school. And not that I was taught wrong things, but the way I interpreted them or the additional meanings I put to things, just like you said, you know, work together for our good and we think for our comfort or, you know, those types of things that I really had to tear down my faith and rebuild it from the foundations. Totally, exactly what I went through. It really is, in fact, as we put the reframing process together, because we rebranded a few years ago and turned the department into what's called reframing ministries, because it's really like an HGTV experience (laughs) in that (laughs) you see this home that is a total disaster Uh And they tear it down. And how many times is a budget set or are they, 
you know, firmly established on we're going in this direction. And then they find termites have eaten up half the house. <laughs> and so all the budget goes towards that. Or, right. I mean, something goes wrong. And so we have three sections of being reframed and one is being ruined. Our plans get ruined. There is nothing easy about that. There's nothing enjoyable. There's nothing fun or even likable. It's ruined. And that is okay to say, I hate this. This is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I don't like things falling totally apart. It's a mess. And we don't read, or at least it's not preached as often, that the mess is part of the process. It is essential to the process. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't get out the termites of the house, which we go from ruined to a restoration process, like you just said, Sarah, you had to tear into scripture. What does that verse mean? Because clearly, either the Lord isn't telling the truth, and I think he is. Right. His track record's 100%. So my interpretation of it is not correct. Right. And so that renovation process takes time. It takes adjusting. It takes adapting. It takes accepting, learning to navigate new things. But then the greatest part is when they do the big reveal and you see what's restored. And how many times on those shows do we, I mean, people just cry and go, I never, I never could have seen this house look this way. Well, that's how the Lord is with each one of us, even though we can't see it when it's in the ruined process because it all right. stinks. Yeah. When we look at the beginning to the end, it's like, I, Lord, I can't believe you've done all these things. You've brought healing to my daughter. You've brought healing to my son. And you're bringing Jonathan along. And every day is different. Every day has something in it that is probably ruining an expectation or a plan that I would have liked to see unfold. Yet I have to go back and say, but you know what, Lord? I trust you. This is your son that you've entrusted to me for a little while. I don't know how long, but may I be faithful in stewarding him well, because he belongs to you first. Now, that's that's nice to say here in a recording. <laughs> in real life, <laughs> it's yeah. not always looking so good. <laughs> we open every podcast with the statement, we believe there is beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Yet we understand that it's not always easy to find that beauty. And sometimes it takes a long time to see the purpose. In your book, Reframing Life, you depict what is necessary to to do that and do it very well. Here's a quote from your book. When you reframe, you say, let's look at this situation another way. Reframing doesn't mean your circumstances change, your pain disappears, or the life you planned happens. It means you have the clarity to grow and thrive regardless of those circumstances. And no matter the issue, the reframing process begins and ends with your mindset. Only God's truth can help us see life clearly. That, I love that quote. I love that perspective and how you capture it so well. Can you you give us an example of a time in your life when you've reframed a life circumstance? Yeah, like every day. (laughs) (laughs) I think, let me think of a specific example. I mean, there's so many things because John, when he was assaulted, acquired a moderate traumatic brain injury, which affects him now every day. The weather, the the temperature outside. Um, oh, man. So every day is different. And wow. 
I wake up not knowing if he'll have a migraine. So I'll plan on him going to his day program or, you know, whatever. And then he's home. So reframing for me is my circumstances, unless the Lord miraculously heals John, he will always struggle with something during the day. So it's constantly on my mind. And I have to go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, where the Lord calls us to think not as society thinks, but to renew our minds through scripture. Mm. And what I have to do is remember, Lord, Jonathan is struggling today. My plans are being changed. And I get honest with my emotions and say, I'm really frustrated or this is so this is so much of an interruption to me but when i renew my mind it's not an interruption to god he already knows the plans of that day he already knows the plans of my entire life so i have to release my plans thankfully i'm given the freedom to work from home or to work in my office or to work from a doctor's office or work in a hospital <laughs> you know that's that is a incredible privilege but I think more than anything, it is the mindset of recalling, Lord, you've promised to provide and you have provided and continue to provide. My plans obviously were not what you needed me to be doing today. So wherever he puts me in that day, whether it's at a doctor's office or whether it's at home with Jonathan, I ask the Lord what is the purpose that you have for me here? Because my plan was to be over here writing or recording a podcast or planning a speaking engagement. But I'm here with John and I can clearly remember we went through unbelievable identity theft several years ago mm-hmm. and had to rewire our house. And wow. oh my it was just overwhelming. And John had woken up and was not feeling well. And so... I sat with him and we read this book and cracked up so hard. (laughs) And I look back, I'll never forget that day in one of the worst seasons that we had experienced in years. We found a way to find humor Mm -hmm. and laughter in the moment. So, you know, a bigger picture for reframing our circumstances probably would be when we went through the recovery with my daughter and her suicidal Mm -hmm. um, stuff and depression. Really, it was going from she's she's suicidal and we've got to work a program for 36 weeks. And she came out the other end with no signs of depression. Wow. But we learned she has a genetic mutation that 50% of Americans have that they don't know they have, but it leads to greater anxiety, greater depression, a propensity for social anxiety and fear. And just learning those things I I reframed how I parented her mm. because I learned she she has to have her alone time. She needs to have downtime. She needs to have certain medications that help her. We have to be careful with her sleep. I have the same genetic mutation and so does Jonathan. All three of us need to do certain things for our health in order to move forward successfully and not successfully as in how we would define success. I mean, um, as contributors to wherever God has us. Sure. So reframing process where the circumstance is what it is. I can't change it. Mm -hmm. 
And I allow myself to feel the emotions. I mean, we see where Jesus gets angry in scripture, where he cries in scripture. He, We are told in Isaiah where he understands every feeling that we've had. He understands every experience that we've gone through. There's nothing that you or I or anyone will face or are living with today that he cannot understand. Mm-hmm. So the emotions are natural, but it's what we do with them that is the game changer. Mm-hmm. So I take my emotions to the Lord and I let him know we have these chats a lot. <laughs> I'm not so happy about this <laughs> or this is not what I expected. And then I just say, you know what, Lord, I don't know what to do here. And either a passage will come to mind or especially a passage in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, because Deuteronomy is a book that I just love. Mm -hmm. And it's all about remembering. Remember, remember, remember. Moses is telling the people to remember all the ways that the Lord led them through the wilderness for the 40 years, Deuteronomy 8-2. And it was for three specific reasons, to humble them, to test them, and to see if they were trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So I asked myself, is my response to this, for sure it's humbling because my human emotion is just, it's probably not the most godly one. It's going to be a human emotion. And then it's also, am I going to be trustworthy in this situation? Will my character prove to be trustworthy before the Lord? And I want that to be true. And so the circumstances, when they demand so much, I have to have scripture because that is the only timeless truth that we can cling to. It is full of promises that we must understand correctly, not as we want them to be. And then we just do the next right thing. The next right thing sometimes is sitting down with John to write, to to read a book with him. The next right thing may be like last year, he we both got parasites. So the next right thing was to take care of our bodies and to deal with the parasites, which was incredibly demanding. But it's my response to the circumstances that's so important. I don't know, that wasn't a very concise answer, (laughs) but that's a lot of what goes through my mind when I'm facing something that is different than what I thought it would be. That's so good. And it's what a great progression. If I was to give the steps to our listeners, what would you say that right. process looks like for, for our listener? I'm so glad you asked that because I read every book on how to do this or that right <laughs> and every formula. <laughs> and what's so funny is I hit a dead end on all of them just about because mm-hmm. life isn't a formula. Mm-hmm. If it was a formula, we'd all follow it and we'd all have it down and we wouldn't need Jesus. Yeah. So life isn't that way. But when I, reframing is actually a word that, originated with um, psychology, and it's when you change your mindset, when you change the way you see something, in other words, when you put on a different pair of glasses, you're going to see the world through a different lens. And so often we keep the same pair of glasses on wanting a different view. Mm. And the Lord's like, no, you can't see through your eyes. You have to see through my eyes. So the process, the reframing process, which is a cognitive behavioral therapy cornerstone just about. The first one is in any given situation, I have to reflect on, R is to reflect. What is it that I was expecting? What have I believed about God, about life, about where I'm at today? 
that is in conflict with what is actually happening. When I went through three years of very intense cognitive behavioral therapy, my therapist used to say, well, all your best thinking led you right to this couch. So I think we need to start thinking. <laughs> I'm like, I know. Isn't that a bummer? It's like, well, it's time to start changing the way you think. Mm. So what expectations did I have of having children or a marriage or just work or day-to-day life? When we can identify those, then we have to explore, the E is explore. Let's look at what I was expecting and connect that to scripture. That's where the verses, Sarah, like you said, you had to dive in and tear those passages apart. We need to know what it says. And the original language, which because of computers, we can go to various Bible sites, Bible tools, Bible Hub, so many different sites that has commentaries online. Look up in the commentary. What does it mean in the Hebrew or the Greek? Examine what the Lord is actually saying, because what I'm thinking he's saying is clearly not what he's saying. So we examine that because that's going to set our mind straight. And then we have to find support because no, no one can do change alone. And finding support is critical to any growth process. We, like Sarah, like you said, well, you both have said this. You can't do it alone. You had to work together to get through the stuff that you went through. So obviously, we need safe, healthy friends, which that safe and healthy are two very important words. People who will be honest, but who know how to companion alongside someone who is suffering. And then we need to look at what values we have. The R R in reframing is renew our values. Am I living by my values and my principles or am I living by something else? Galatians 1.10, Paul is talking about, he had planted the church and he left and he came back and they were all divided and all a mess. And he's like, what are you guys thinking? I mean, that's not what Paul said, but that's my rendition of it. And then he says, are you pleasing man or are you going to please God? Because if you're pleasing man, you're not following me. So I need to have my values based on the values that the Lord says are good and right and true, like Philippians talks about. Then the A is adapt and adjust. We have to learn how to adjust along the way. We can't just think change is going to happen in a really neat path. Mm-hmm. It's not like a wonderful little parkway path. There's a lot of mess in change. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. It can get messy. In our house, we redefine the word failure because nothing's a failure. We've just learned what won't work. So we have to learn how to navigate that. And then the I, and it's so funny because I don't have it written down in front of me. So I'm like, where am I going with the I? Is to start imagining what new opportunities has the Lord or what new opportunities am I interested in? Before Jonathan, I would have never been interested in a disability ministry because I didn't understand that world. Right. Now, I can't imagine not being in the world of those with disabilities and caring for caregivers and for loved ones and for families and helping them learn how to navigate the process of reframing their lives because it's not what they expected. Then you begin to imagine, and we know so much through neuroscience about imagining, 
imagination and how critical it is to where we want to go. It's, you know, Lord, this is your world. Where do you want me? If I'm at the doctors all the time, I started bringing cookies to the nurses because I thought no one thinks them. Mm. So, no, I'm not teaching Bible studies anymore. This was when John was little. But I'm definitely at a place where people don't know the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I want them to know my source of strength is not in me. It's in Him. So find those opportunities and begin imagining, how can you use me in this way? Then the G is to go where God calls. As He calls you and leads you, follow that direction. And of course, it's going to turn and have twists and changes. But that really is, that's the renovation process in a in a nutshell. And sometimes I don't need to renew my values because my values are established. Sometimes it's just I need to find some support in a certain area that that I don't have support in. Sometimes I'm way off on something the Lord has said, and I need to examine what was I thinking or what were my expectations here. We've had, my husband and I have gone on two, no, three, our last, I'm sorry, our last four getaways have involved catastrophes. <laughs> he broke his ribs on two of them, came down with diverticulitis on one of them, and then another one, I was very sick. I did not expect to be sick on all those, or to have these things go on. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, it was what it was. And I had to, I mean, I needed support from family and I needed to manage and navigate the adjustments there and look at my expectations and say, yeah, I am disappointed. I wanted this experience to be more relieving than it was. So I am exhausted. Lord, I need you to fill my cup because I'm empty still. So it's just living it day to day. And it's just a natural go-to when you get into the habit of not blaming God because as our as our good friend says, blame is be lame. It never works. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. He knows what you're thinking. You might as well tell him, mm-hmm. get it out there and just see what whatever it is that you need. Then ask him, Lord, show me how to meet that need as you are renovating my entire life through this transformation process called life. Yeah, I love how you've started there and you've mentioned it several times where you go to God and tell him where you're at. You share very honestly, like, God, I don't like this, or this is hard, or this is what my emotion is. And I feel like that's so critical to the entire rest of the process because we have to identify where we are and be honest about that before there can be any change. Yeah, I'm, I'm, Grieved so often by the picture that many churches or many Christians have of whatever the Christian life is supposed to look like, because rarely does it look like what it really is. You know, we want it to look like, oh, we got it all together. And, you know, actually, every person in the pew has a suffering issue going on. If there are one in two people with learning disabilities, one in three women who are domestic abuse survivors or enduring that in one in seven men. If there are actually one in four to five people who have either Alzheimer's or a lifetime disability diagnosis, I assure you there is a house that is a wreck behind that because you can't keep up with it all. And so honesty is so vital to the process. If we aren't 
honest, then we're starting off, we already are on a wrong foot. And I want to encourage every person to allow others to be where they are, to listen without saying anything, Mm -hmm. but just to listen, reflectively listen. I'm so sorry. That has been so disappointing. I'm so sorry that you're so upset. That has got to be incredibly difficult. I can't imagine. And companion with them. Yes. And then be where you are. You know, this is how we're showing up today. Because if if I'm going to be honest, it's going to be messy. And those who don't like messes probably aren't hanging around my house a lot. Because <laughs> it's, it's not super clean all the time. Yeah. And that's where we, that's, that shows we need Jesus. Yeah. We've got to have him. Yes. He sustains so much. And he will sustain me if I will allow him to. Not always as quickly as I want him to. Sometimes <laughs> I'm like, you know, yeah. you could hurry that one up a little bit, Lord. Yeah. He's like, thank you for sharing. It's mm. still on my clock. <laughs> yep. Those renovation projects sometimes get uh, drawn out a little bit longer than, than what exactly. we hope. Yes. <laughs> so true. And you see how they, I mean, it's just so much of life. It, it's a great representation because you just watch the house gets ripped apart. Something mm. goes wrong. Stuff comes crawling out. And the people are upset, understandably so. But then if they just wait, the end process is amazing. And that's where our hope comes in, is knowing that God fulfills his promises, not always on this side of heaven, but he will sustain us and we will see fulfillment of his promises. On this side of heaven, the judicial system let us down. It was not justice, but The Lord says, justice is mine. So on the other side of heaven, God's justice, which is a whole lot worse than any man-made justice system, that will be heard and that will be fulfilled. And that is where I have to put my hope. Yeah, I think, and that's, I love how you, that's where you went because that's really our ultimate hope for every trial and every difficulty is knowing that he is redeeming everything. Hmm. And no matter how hard it is now, no matter what we're walking through, there is a day where we will be with him and there will be no more hurt and all of this will be finished. And some days that's what I cling to. I think it's where we have to go. I mean, on this side of heaven, unless a miracle occurs and the Lord heals your son or heals my son, we will live in a compromised condition. He made us in his image, but this earth is not as he planned it to be. So there's a compromise. But he says, and I I totally get Paul's words, I long for heaven. Mm -hmm. But as long as I'm here, or as my husband says, as long as there's air in your lungs, he's got a job for you to do. Mm-hmm. So, Lord, what job do you have for me to do today? Because it's not going to be as I thought it would be, or it's not going to be the perfect picture, but I'm going to choose to believe. And there's a lot of times where I've had to pray, Lord, I need the will to have the will to obey. It's just not obedience, like I'm going to snap my fingers and I can obey. It's I need to be willing, and sometimes I'm not willing, and I need to pray to be willing. I mean, we really have to get down to brass tacks on this thing. Right. Yes. Lord, help me to remember to remember that all things will work together. And when I go to Hebrews 11, 
the way a lot of those people died was mm -hmm. awful. Mm -hmm. They did not see the hand of the Lord on this side of heaven. But oh my gosh, the honor and the joy of being with Christ in heaven for eternity is going to be unbelievable. And that in itself produces hope. Yes. Do you have a favorite verse or a promise that you tend to go back to time and again? Yes, I am so glad you asked that question because there are two. One of my very favorite passages is 2 Corinthians because Paul is so incredibly honest in mm. that entire book of 2 Corinthians. And it gave me an answer to why we suffer, mm. which how many books have been written about that? Like right. thousands and thousands. And I think you and I have probably both read them all. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul talks about the God in it, he says, praise be to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort. So I take those two first and go, he's compassionate and he comforts, mm -hmm. which is on his end, not mine. And then he goes into and says, who comforts us in all of our troubles. And as Paul goes on and talks about all that he went through to the point of feeling like he was going to die, he says, he delivered us from such deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us through your prayers. And then he says, having gone through so much and being comforted from the Lord, he's then enabled to comfort others. We cannot give what we do not have in us. And so I am so comforted when I remember that whatever the Lord allows, He's allowing, even though I think I may die at times, and there have been times where I have been there, but through the comfort that He has provided, whether it's just through a walk outside or through a friend or a phone call or through just quietness, then I'm able to comfort others. And I just, it gives me a why. The why to hardship, the why to suffering is it's allowed because he has a greater purpose that you or I could not accomplish on our own or from a book or something we learned in school. The experiences have carved and honed our lives in a way that then will be used for a greater purpose. I so love that because then it means nothing is wasted. The pain that I'm enduring today isn't wasted. And the second one is in 2 Corinthians as well. And it's when Paul is talking about his weaknesses mm -hmm. and he is saying, I boast in my weaknesses after being asked, after he asked the Lord to relieve his thorn in the flesh. I love it that the Lord does not ever tell us what that thorn in the flesh is because then we would say, well, I don't have that thing. So, you know, <laughs> it was something painful. Mm. And because of that, and I have ideas on that and it's been speculated in so many ways, but for every person who's listening, whatever pain it is that you're going through, the Lord may and he may not take it away. Mm. He hasn't taken away my daily pain in my back. He may or may not ever take that away. But in my weakness, then he is strong. And isn't that the goal of, not the goal, but the joy in life is to find God showing up and shining through the places where we can't do it on our own. So I love those two passages, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. 
Yeah, those are great. I love them. Yeah, so encouraging. I love the hope that's there and just the purpose and all that those verses speak to. So thank you for sharing those. Um, You're welcome. As we wrap up, how can our listeners connect with you? Well, I would love to connect with your listeners. I like connecting with you guys too. (laughs) But you can find me at reframingministries.com. And that's R-E-F-R-A-M-I-N-G, ministries, M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S.com. I I know it's super long, but just type type that in. That goes to the website. And um, we have a Reframing Ministries podcast. So we're on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. Google, um, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we do a monthly podcast and they can find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook. And if my assistant was sitting here, she knows so much more about that because she's so much smarter than I am. (laughs) But they can also just type in Colleen Swindoll and a lot of stuff comes up. We're on YouTube and have provided resources and putting together right now, which is really exciting, toolkits to help families take the next step, a 30-day daily retreat mm-hmm. for caregivers Ooh, that, sounds um, good. that we're putting together. So basically on social media and podcasting, and then the books can be found at Insight for Living, which is insight.org. I think that's it. Okay. That's great. Well, we and will, I just love yeah. to connect. Yeah, we'd love to have them connect with you. And we will post links on our show notes to your different resources and to your site and social media page. So everybody check out uh, Reframing Ministries, connect with Colleen there. Thank you for chatting with us today. I know it will be such an encouragement to all those families who are in that uh, tearing down and renovation process in their own lives. It was an encouragement to me. So thank you. Well, I'm so honored and so thankful that the Lord has brought me through so much and continues to. And my prayer for your audience is that they will find hope and help, that their hearts will be healed. And eventually they can find humor in the daily struggles because there's a lot of humor in our lives as well. <laughs> it's not it's not all serious. It can be really, really funny. Yes. <laughs> but That's thank so you. Good. It's such an honor to talk with both of you today. 